This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to our very first Mainspring Family Wellness Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the arc of parenting. Where have we come from and where are we going? As a mother of three, I often reflect on the generations that have come before us and what their parenting style was. I think about what I was doing when I was 11 years old. And I was babysitting my sister and staying home alone. And I even babysat for families that had three children. I mean, crazy to think that someone left me in charge of their three children, three (laughs) young children. But I did it, and I did it almost weekly for various families. Now, I look at my daughters, who are almost 11 years old, and I think of them babysitting someone's children, and I can't even imagine it. Maybe it's my own fears, but I see such a shift in the responsibilities that we had growing up and the responsibilities that we give to our children now. Um, most of us just had to be home by dark. Our parents didn't know where we were, what we were doing or where we were all the time, but they gave us that independence to make good, safe choices. Or at least they thought we did. they did. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes we didn't make safe choices. And sometimes either. we didn't, but that's how we figured it out. Um, many teens don't even have jobs growing up. Um, a lot of them don't get their driver's license, whereas we were running to the DMV. Why are we no longer entrusting our children with mature responsibilities and independence? I think this is kind of an epidemic uh, throughout the country, actually. But I would say that when we look at parenting from the 70s or 80s, and here we are, you know, in our 30s and 40s, this particular generation of parenting, I think many uh, parents now feel like there was some level of neglect, that our parents didn't know enough. They didn't do enough for us. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of left, we weren't really handheld. You know, when I think about people even visiting colleges about where they're going to go, the vast majority of my friends never even walked on a campus with their with no. their parents. I certainly didn't. <laughs> no. You, you kind of had to just figure it out yeah. yourself. Yep. And so I think we're bouncing back from that and thinking, no, you know, we really want to make sure that we're really available to our kids and that they feel emotionally attuned to, which brings up the idea of attachment theory. Because when attachment theory came out in the later 40s and then started to proliferate within the psychological circles by the 70s and 80s from John Bowlby, we learned from his research uh, something about the secure base Mm -hmm. or someone that is avoidantly attached or ambivalently attached. And so I think this message has started to move into... Uh, parenting psychology and, and another book series by Dr. Sears was really helpful in attachment parenting and helping uh, to and helping parents to understand more about attachment. So basically, when somebody is a very secure person and they have a secure base, mm-hmm. they grew up with parents that really understood their needs um, on a physical level, but also on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. But then when people have more of um, 
an avoidant attachment style or ambivalent. It's because the avoidance grew up with parents that created more of an emotional desert at home that didn't really have the bandwidth for emotion. Mm -hmm. And so then these kids get more suppressed and they don't really deal with their emotions and they end up becoming very autonomous. Uh, They also have a high pain threshold often. Mm -hmm. They often even have a closer relationship to animals than they do to people. That's interesting. Yeah. Because they start to believe the belief that uh, no one's really out there to meet my needs except myself. I only have myself to rely on. Mm -hmm. And then ambivalence have more of an inconsistent attachment style. So there's, it's kind of what I call the push-pull of attachment. Sometimes my needs are going to get met and other times they're not, and I can't figure out which way is going to happen next, right? So Mm -hmm. it creates a lot of anxiety in relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's often because they had parents that would get really consumed with parenting out of their own anxiety. And then that parent would kind of go away emotionally. And so it left the child just kind of waiting in anxiety on like, what's going to happen next? Hmm. So there's a lot more anxiety that's been actually thrusted into parenting, I think, compared to the 70s or 80s, where there was more trust probably for where we were growing up and the kind of people that our children were growing up around as well. Mm-hmm. And I think also there's been more fear that's also been added into that too when you think about, oh, you know, children being kidnapped or different stories. I think we're really sensitive to what the media says. Yeah, I mean, I think that those stories were happening when we were growing up too. Maybe we didn't hear about them as much, but it seems as though there's so much more fear of something like kidnapping happening to your child than when I was growing up, when we were growing up. Yeah, I think cultural fear um, has a lot to do with this. And also, you know, we're also growing up or raising our kids in an age now where there are gun shootings at a school. Yeah. You know, where there are gun shootings at a mall. You know, there's just um, at churches, Mm -hmm. at, at temples. Right. And so it's just so hard to even... Explain this to make sense of it for our children because we don't want to proliferate more fear, but at the same time, we have to have an understanding of it. So I think, you know, I have a lot of compassion, of course, for parents and even for myself right now as a parent because this is not necessarily something that our parents had to deal with. Our parents never had to think about, okay, I'm going to take, you know, my kids to Disneyland and um, I don't, I'm not going to think about that, the possibility of a bomb. But after 9 11, I don't know about you, Kristen, but I think about that. If I go to a large amusement park with my kids or if I go, you know, it's on my mind. Like, I, there is that possibility. Yeah. I still think about it every time we walk into the airport, whenever we're traveling, even getting on the airplane. And I know all the safety precautions that they've taken. But, uh, no, I and I think because of 9-11, we will always have that in the back of our Minds. Right. So there's a lot more anxiety that's mm-hmm. been uh, placed into our style of parenting now for this generation because we want to keep our kids safe. Right. And I think because we have that in mind, we're often trying to control more things as mm-hmm. parents to try to stave off anything that could hurt kids or the potential for it. Sure. But then by doing so, we're not really giving children more opportunity to grow up to make mistakes and mm-hmm. learn from the mistakes, right. the, the beautiful gift of failure. Yeah. And, We're and, not providing that. And uh, the gift of building resiliency that they 
you know, it, it's it makes it challenging to think about letting them. You might be able to protect them and keep them keep them in a bubble for now, but then you you know, send them off to college and they're on their own. And Right. And and it's not easy because they haven't had enough experience to do so earlier on. So if right. parents are constantly being the prefrontal cortex for their kids, which is basically the executive functioning thinking, right? Mm-hmm. If we're doing that all the time for our children, mm-hmm. then they have kind of lazy brains. They don't know what is expected of them. And we actually have to have more expectations with our kids. And it's not necessarily the expectation of success. Right. And that's a problem, too. (laughs) It is. If you look at Angela Duckworth's work on grit, you know, Mm -hmm. and in her book, Grit, she illustrates how we have done a really good job in this generation of parenting raising kids to be successful. Okay. Really successful kids. Mm -hmm. But what they don't know is how to fail. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we've actually created a generation of people that are, are very fragile. So right. it, it, they know what success feels like, but if they fail, they don't know how to bounce back from it. Right. And so we really need to respect the ability to fail, to make mistakes, and then how to recover from it. Mm-hmm. Because if your mind is just focused all the time just on success, and then if something doesn't go the way that you hope... You know, and then you don't have the skill on how to bounce back. It really limits your bandwidth and the ability to get back up. Right. You know, the emotional bandwidth for that. It's tough for a lot of kids. They don't they don't know. They don't know how to decipher between small problems in the world, medium problems and big problems. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids, when you look at early development right now, a small problem is the same as a big problem. They can't decipher. And so that's where, as parents, if we can help them and guide them to help them understand, like, no, this is actually, this is a small problem. Bigger problems is is if you were, you know, at the mall and you didn't know where mom was, like you you wandered away or you needed help from an adult, mm-hmm. you know, not not like a big tantrum over the fact that, like, you can't open this wrapper Right. Or, right. <laughs> like, you know, your, your, your YouTube video keeps stalling on you. Like, <laughs> right. Well, it seems as I, I see that with even in my own children. Um, but I also feel like uh, parents see what was once considered to be a small problem um, to sometimes it gets a little blown out of proportion and becomes quite a large problem. Give, give me an example of that. Um, well, I think you have a, a story that illustrates this. Um, you know, the the discuss, the topic of, of lice oh. and just... <laughs> oh, that's right. I was going to share that story. Yeah, you got to share that story. How, you know, we get an email almost every other week from school about somebody having lice and just the uproar with the parent community. Oh, my God, it's lice. But okay. when we were growing up, you, you got lice, right? You just <laughs> yes. got lice. Like, yeah. I got it once, and I remember my mom picking okay. nits well, out of my l- hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me preface this story. You know, I've been in practice well, since 2006, mm-hmm. and so I've seen a lot of people, maybe like, maybe close to a 1,000 people probably throughout my practice. Mm-hmm. But I've had at least three to four cases of teenagers that were phobic because of lice. Wow. Because lice, is, you know, was heard of at the school and they were so freaked out about the idea of bugs in their hair, they couldn't handle it. And so they actually put themselves into a panic attack. Oh, my goodness. So 
<clears throat> and then it would stop them from wanting to go to the movies because of sitting in chairs, you know, with the potential of catching something or going back to school. And um, I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, like, why, why, why this kind of panic over lice? Because I grew up in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and you were guaranteed to get lice every summer. <laughs> like that's just yep. that's just how it went yep. down. <laughs> yeah, that's when I would get it. Summer camp, right? And and if the lice was really bad, then you had to cut your hair. Oh, right, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, there were some really bad haircuts back then. Yeah. <laughs> but what what I think we're seeing though too is that we don't have the capacity to handle. Right. These little things nowadays, because right. kids are not used to handling, uh, you know, big problems or, or small problems. They don't know how to decipher between the two. Right. And so that's why all of a sudden lice feels like I don't have the coping skills on han- how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that really says, well, we got to build up some coping skills then. Sure. Like, because sometimes you're going to get lice. You're <laughs> You yes, yeah. and it's gonna be okay. They have places to wash your yeah. hair and clean. You will your- survive. <laughs> will survive. You will survive. That makes me think about uh, one of my kiddos that has a fear of of throwing up. Mm. And I've talked to other parents, and their children are very scared of of being exposed to somebody that's been sick and potentially throwing up. Is, is that? Uh, is that kind of along the same lines or? You know, I think it is. I mean, sometimes there definitely is like real anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. And some of that is because you have a predisposition towards anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, however, there's a lot within the environment at home that we can do to help regulate that. Mm-hmm. So the more um, normalcy that a parent has about when things bad things happen or when mistakes happen, mm-hmm. it will become easier to deal with these things with kids. Uh, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when my, I, my oldest is 18. When my daughter was really little and a spill would happen, I had this tendency to go, <gasps> you know, like, like this, right. this sound of surprise. So many of us do right, that. Right, right. Yes. And it was just this knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And then she would all of a sudden look up and like, oh, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't my intention to go, you did something wrong. But it was just this knee-jerk reaction from my, for myself to just express, oh, like right. something fell. Right. And then my mom was over on a different day when my daughter was around like four, I think. And she spilled something. And my mom goes, oh. Like that, the same thing. And then it just clicked into me that, oh, my gosh, I'm just recapitulating the same thing my mom did. And I probably had the same reaction my daughter did of looking up and going, what did I do wrong? Sure. Because I had that tendency even personally to think, oh, what did I do wrong? Right. You know. And so I really wanted to stop that. So when it came to my second kiddo and a spill would happen, my go-to rather than (gasps) would be, that's okay. Sometimes right. spills happen. Right. Go ahead and get the towel. Let's clean this up. Right. And then I even had like a little cleanup song because I, I really wanted to be good about changing that pattern up and not, you know, proliferating that legacy. And so the big win was when Tyson was five and he spilled something and he turned to me and he goes, but that's okay because sometimes spills happen. Yeah. I love, said, I love yeah. when the kids say that before you do. I love oh. that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, I think that's a common reaction. And I, I do think that there's so many things that we react to in a certain way based on what we were taught and what we saw as children. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's not always easy to to change that legacy. You do have to step back and realize that um, that they are that it's a it's we're different people than our parents and we want to do things a little differently. So where do you see things headed with this next generation of parents based on all this fear and anxiety? <laughs> Is there any hope for for those coming after us? I think the number one step is that parents have to handle their own anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, often it's because parents are coming from a place of fear because they want so much for their kids and they're really focused on success, mm-hmm. the results, right? which is actually probably a little more, I mean, we all want good things for our, our, our kids. You know, we want them to be healthy people. We want them to be successful in life, like have a good job, have really healthy relationships. Um, but sometimes that can also teeter on being more ego-driven as parents because when our kids do well, we see that as a reflection of our own success, that mm-hmm. we did a good job as parents. It's hard because I think it, it can be really tied in. I know I myself have, have felt that a little bit, but the more I really separate and see myself as a guide with, with my kids on, on raising them, then I can celebrate their wins because it's their wins. It's not actually my personal wins. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it seems like the children these days are kind of ruling the roost and uh, many parents' lives are revolving around them. And yes. their weekdays and weekends are all about juggling their social calendars and their social activities, sporting events. Um, I mean, it's 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 exhausting. And I, I'm sure it's the ram, you know, what are the ramifications of that, of us catering to them too much? You know, I, I feel like it's contributing to a lot of these yeah, issues. I, I think what you're bringing up is actually something we're probably going to be touching base in a future prod- podcast about uh, just being too child centered, mm-hmm. you know, with, with our kids. Um, but we, once again, it's this generation of parenting and the culture that we're creating where we're putting so much uh, emphasis on organized sports for our kids and take and allowing that to take over the weekends that a lot of time family time is going to sporting events and not really time together right as a family right so i love the idea of nationwide sporting events would only take place on saturday and then leave sundays back for the families to go Go to the park. Go mm-hmm. have outings, activities. Go just spend time with each other. That's not, uh, you know, that's not a sport. Yeah. But then you also have a lot of families that may involve themselves in two or three sports. Right. And it's, it's too much. It's and, too much. And we keep hearing this, but it doesn't seem to be hitting home. People just keep piling on the schedule. Well, it's almost like FOMO. You know, you have yeah. the, the fear of missing out that, like, if your kid isn't involved in that, what what's going to happen? Thank you, social media, for that. But once again, that's more fear-based. Yeah. So, you know, you have to really decide, like, what is in the best interest of your family? Right. And also, how much bandwidth does your child have for the things that you're signing them up, signing them up for? What's the kind of lifestyle that you really want to have with your your family? Mm-hmm. Because I meet a lot of people that go, I actually want a much slower life. Right. But I feel like I can't do that because then we're going to miss out on these opportunities. Yep. 
And then we're not taking into account the real temperaments of kids that they some some kids don't want to, you know, run so fast. They need more downtime right. than what we're giving them. Right. I mean, you know, as a society, um, you know, we're more anxious, depressed and empty than we ever have been. Our children are more helpless and entitled. Um, so, you know, just to, in conclusion, you know, what can we do to, to change this path? What are some some things we can put in our toolbox as parents to to create more thriving, resilient children? Well, I think the number one thing is to honor the mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, really take in some of this research that um, Angela Duckworth has brought out through Grit or Carol Dweck's work on mindset mm-hmm. and and really focus on that growth mindset mm-hmm. about how can I improve? Uh, what would I do different next time? Don't look to, to skip over the mistake and or make it a bad thing, mm-hmm. but just go, okay, well, how can we learn from this? You yeah. know, so we don't want to always set up our kids for um, succeeding all the time. You know, I have so many cases actually even right now that I see where uh, parents just did their very best all the time to protect their kids from mistakes, and now they're young men and women in their t- later 20s mm-hmm. living with parents yeah, um, without the need to get a job because everything's taken care of for them and they're not motivated people because sure. they don't know how to actually internally motivate themselves. So we're missing out on huge skills when we don't provide that for our kids. And what I mean by provide, like providing them the opportunity to make sense of it, to climb their own cognitive tree and figure how to do these things. I like that um, cognitive tree. I mm-hmm. like that image. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's those are very helpful. And don't cater to your kids so much. You know, if you see chores or other things that they can do to contribute and make a difference for the family, let them do it. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people in our area have housekeepers or gardeners. And so we miss out on some of those little day-to-days that people can do at home. Mm -hmm. Look back, though, on it and go, okay, but what can I go ahead and delegate? So for instance, in my home, you know, my boys and my daughter are in charge of the dishwasher, mm-hmm. loading and unloading. Uh, they're in charge of uh, trash cans, um, picking up, you know, in the backyard, picking up after themselves. You yeah. know, how many moms are just Imagine picking up that. after their kids all the time? <laughs> right. You know, right. so we have to put back the onus on our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then finding things uh, to do that are philanthropic, where you're really yes. giving to others. Yes. I know that's another topic yep. for us that we want to touch on. but yep. Creating empathy in our children, for yeah. sure. You know, I'm sure that there was just so much more that we wanted to say on this. But I think this is our, our thoughts for now on the arc of parenting. Uh, where have we been and where are we heading? Please join us next time for Kid-Centric Marriages. When kids are the focus and relationships take a backseat. seat.